Welcome to your daily affirmations. Repeat after me, working with others is easier than ever. I strive for perfect collaboration. Our teamwork keeps getting better. Yeah, affirmations are great, but Monday.com can really get you the teamwork you desire. Work together easily and share files, updates, data, and just about anything you want all in one platform. Affirm yes to start. Or tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, and welcome to Humanities Matter, brought to you by Brill. I am Emily Tampkin, and this week we will be looking at key issues in the field of humanities. I'm speaking today with Judith Kuchnitsky. Uh, her piece, Navigating Discretion, A Diplomatic Practice in Moments of Sociopolitical Rupture, was published in the Hague Journal of Diplomacy. Judith, thank you so much for, for being with me today. Thank you, Emily. Thanks for having me. First, I, I, you know, for our listeners, the, the paper is super interesting, um, but I was, I was sort of interested in how you decided to write this piece. Yeah. Um, Yeah, well, I wrote the article Navigating Discretion during my PhD in Cambridge, which means that it covers some of the aspects I addressed in my doctoral research. Mm -hmm. So in my PhD, very simply put, and I have to summarize this a bit, but I examined the change and continuity inside the Yemeni and to a lesser extent also the Egyptian and Tunisian diplomatic services during and after the 2011 uprising. And I admit that this is a pretty niche subject, so you're right in asking what sparked my interest in it, Mm -hmm. Um, what sparked my curiosity. And to answer that question, I have to go back a bit because the answer lies in the fact that I began following events in Yemen quite closely in 2012 when mm-hmm. I did research on the politicization of the Yemeni Salafi movement at the time as a master's student. Um, I then worked with a local newspaper, the Yemen Times in Sana'a in 2014-15, early 15, and generally followed Yemeni politics quite closely. So read whatever newspaper article on Yemen I came across at the time. And one of those articles, which I read in 2013, I think, uh, triggered my curiosity and ultimately led to my PhD project and the article Navigating Discretion. Um, it was a very short article, but an interesting one, which reported that Ahmad Saleh, so the son of the former Yemeni president, who had an influential military position in Yemen, was appointed ambassador to the UAE by the new president, um, and that two other family members of the former president, who also held important military positions, were appointed military attache abroad. So it seemed that the new president got got rid of important members of the old regime by appointing them to the diplomatic service. And reading this, I began to ask myself, hmm, uh, yeah, I wonder what that means for the diplomatic service as an institution. I mean, 
how loyal and credible is the son of the former president and his representation of the new government, which basically kicked him out. Right. Right. <laughs> what role do personal emotions play in the diplomatic service at a very emotional time? And I don't know how the diplomats who represented one and the same president all their life feel about the uprising and political change. And does the diplomatic service change because of changed appointments, for example? Does it become some sort of platform for the recycling of political elites abroad? So yes, these and, and other questions motivated me to write my research proposal, apply for the PhD, which, as I just said, then led to the writing of this article. Yeah. So uh, because... Um, you know, you're, you're talking about moments of sociopolitical rupture. So mm -hmm. could you point to maybe one or two moments of what you consider to be moments of rupture that you consider particularly significant? Yes, I think that one important rupture was definitely the 2011 uprising, when you had a large number of people in Tunisia, Egypt, and Yemen, among other places, <laughs> pouring to the street demonstrating against presidents who have been in power for up to 33 years in the case of Yemen, and whose protests were, at least to some extent, successful to the surprise of many, if not most, uh, commentators and participants at the time. And that subsequent regime change and the political transition that followed, that was a moment of rupture, which was also a moment of opportunity, a moment of emotion, and I think, importantly, a moment of doubt. And I'm saying this because many diplomats began to question existing internal practices that have maybe been unpopular, but that were not openly questioned before. So in a moment of doubt, diplomats reflected upon existing institutional structures and practices, and in some instances, called for change or successfully implemented change, although that was no simple process and was tied to a certain amount of internal conflict and power struggles. Um, so definitely 2011, the 2011 uprisings as an important rupture and a second important moment of rupture, specifically I'm referring here to Yemen, was the outbreak of civil war became very quickly very international. So at a time at which major political forces inside the country violently compete for power, the question of diplomatic representation is no longer a straightforward one. Um, because yeah, when, when the civil war in Yemen broke out, you had two political actors or parties who both claimed to run legitimate Yemeni governments. So if you are a Yemeni diplomat abroad at that time and you say, I'm representing the Yemeni government or just I'm, I'm representing Yemen, you might be asked what government and, and who right. in Yemen exactly. <laughs> so again, I would describe the outbreak of civil war as an important rupture that did have an impact on Yemeni diplomats and the Yemeni diplomatic service. Zooming out just a little bit, you, you just spoke about diplomats themselves sort of questioning practices within diplomatic institutions. But I mm -hmm. think something that we've seen a lot of has been people from outside these international institutions questioning them, right? Mm -hmm. So you have people, you know, questioning the use of diplomacy or questioning international law or these, these institutions that kind of have gone along for the past however many years, even while these reforms are made inside. Um, mm -hmm. 
do you think that makes these institutions more or less relevant? That's a good question. Um, I would say with regards to diplomatic institutions, there's a lot of talk or questions being raised um, asking to what extent state, state diplomacy nowadays is still relevant at a right. time at which we face so many problems that are inherently transnational, um, that involve actors um, that are often different from state governments, um, so transnational, subnational actors. So the question, can state diplomats still solve, are they still relevant in solving contemporary global problems? Mm -hmm. um, I would say that the answer to that question is yes, state diplomacy is still relevant, but I would say that state diplomacy is changing. And that change has to do um, with an in increasing, with the increasing importance of non-state actors that are involved in international affairs. Can you say, yeah, but, say more about that, please? Yes, and, and I think that change also has to do with the rising importance of technology, communications technology. So WhatsApp, Facebook, social media, et cetera, that changes diplomatic practice. And, uh, and yes, changes, changes how state diplomacy works inherently. Um, now, you also mentioned international institutions, international justice institutions, mm -hmm. um, and increasing criticism um, specifically coming from the US. Yes. Um, I think I think that the so I'm no expert on, on international international institutions as such and international justice. Um, but I think that the withdrawal of the US from the UN's Human Rights Council and the fact that the US has never ratified the treaty that set up the ICC and is becoming increasingly critical of the ICC, so the International Criminal Court, does not necessarily make these institutions irrelevant. Mm -hmm. um, I would say, actually, that at a time at which nationalism is on the rise and you hear more and more politicians in Europe and the US emphasizing state sovereignty, the existence of international institutions that uphold the idea of international justice gains in relevance, which is not to say that they gain directly in power, but in a way they become more relevant because they offer a counterbalance to these nationalist political trends. So they offer a counter narrative, if you want, that I think should not be forgotten. So what matters here, I would say, is the idea that these institutions represent and the fact that these institutions do still exist, are still operational, and are supported by many different states, which means that the idea of international justice still carries some weight. So, so to sum up, both, both in international institutions of international justice, but also institutions of state diplomacy, I would say, did not lose in relevance. Yeah, they've been ruptured, but are no less relevant. Yes, yeah, exactly. Okay, so that was Judith Kuchnitsky. Um, her piece is Navigating Discretion, a Diplomatic Practice in Moments of Sociopolitical Rupture. It's published in the Hague Journal of Diplomacy. Um, Judith, thank you again for, for taking thank the Thank you so much, Emily, for this opportunity. Thank you. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. 
the laundry? Oh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.